Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Seven words that'll scare any politician. Roy Green is holding on line one. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network continues. You can send your emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com and follow me on Twitter at The Roy Green Show. Tweet me as well, and I'll read some tweets on the air as we go through the shows. I was looking at um, a column written by uh, one of our guests coming up uh, a little later on in the hour when uh, Kristen Tate is with us, columnist with The Hill in uh, the newspaper the uh, in Washington. She's also a constant, a frequent contributor to Fox News Network, and she's one of the top 25 Republicans under the age of 25. Her column in The Hill currently, violent threats against the president are okay now. And uh, she references a video, many of you have probably seen it, even um, if looking at news coverages. Snoop Dogg, uh, and I'm just quoting the, uh, the column by Kristen. Snoop Dogg has done his best to get back on people's radars since 1998 with his new music video in which he assassinates a clown dressed as Trump. Even if it was just a stunt by the 45-year-old rapper to stay relevant, it was still completely crass and unacceptable. The media have largely glossed over these serious threats with a shrug. And she's right. So we're going to talk with her, with, with, uh, with Kristen Tate, at the bottom of the hour. New story that uh, I've talked to a few friends of mine who were formerly in the military, and I asked them just how significant the story is to them, and each one of them said extremely significant. And this new story is, I imagine mo- most of you have heard this, major changes within uh, the Canadian Armed Forces are quite possibly going to be taking place. The Chief of Defense Staff, General John Vance, announced the military will review uniforms, badges, flags, ceremonies, drills, and so on, to confirm they're all welcoming to women, the disabled, indigenous people, gays, and transgender, and it's part of the military's diversity strategy action plan. There's also um, information that the Ottawa Citizen newspaper was able to obtain from sources as they write inside National Defense Headquarters. And one of the uh, one of the problems has been, and a very serious issue, have been the allegations of and uh, the proof of sexual harassment, sexual violence toward women within the armed forces. So now things are going to change, according to General Vance. And uh, joining us on the program is... Sergeant Major Barry Westholm has been a, a guest on the show on uh, many an occasion. We've normally been speaking about issues within the military as far as looking after those with PTSD is concerned and, and uh, looking after veterans and making sure that proper pensions are paid out. And Barry has, uh, has works nonstop on behalf 
of uh, the men and the women of the military, more than 30 years in the Canadian Armed Forces, and that includes the disbanded Airborne Regiment. Barry, good to speak with you again. And uh, when, when the Chief of Defense Staff, General John Vance, says things have to change, uh, what, do you, uh, what do you say, and, and what does it mean to you as a 30-plus year member of the Armed Forces that they're reviewing fundamentals like uniforms, badges, flags, ceremonies, drills, and so on to confirm that they're all welcoming to women and, as as is written, uh, the disabled indigenous people, gays and transgender. What's your response to that? Uh, Firstly, their priorities are just totally out to lunch, Um, and I believe immoral. I say immoral because they're still uh, dealing and grappling with a transition unit to try to get... uh, injured and ill people, people that have uh, hurt themselves in, in the line of duty for us, um, a proper support structure. So they should not be recruiting anybody or deploying anyone until they have a very firm way of dealing with them once they're injured. So that should be number one on the priority list. This current issue is uh, one that's been going on actually for, for many, many years. Um, but uh, just to state my my feeling about the whole thing, I'm going to quote uh, General James Mattis, who's uh, just been a part of Trump's team, and he states, when asked about the LGBT community and those people joining the forces, he said, my concern is on the readiness of the force to fight. He said, and to make certain that it's the top of its game. So when we go up against an enemy, the criteria for everything we do in the military up until that point, when we put our young men and women across the line of departure, is they will be at their most lethal stance. And that is how I feel. I really don't care and never did care about sexual orientation, things of that nature, religious beliefs. To me, in in the military, it did not matter. However, the military does have an obligation to mirror uh, Canadian society, and that's just the way it it goes. It it has uh, to follow what's going on. And as things become more prevalent in society, and it could be the religion makeup of of people, uh, the sexuality of people, it, it can't ignore it. And there's no more firmer way to express this than Canadian Forces Administration Order 1920. Now, this is the one that basically weeded out all homosexuals from the Canadian Forces while I was there. I saw it happen. And uh, this is back in the 80s. And like I say, I really had no problem with anybody that I worked with. If they worked hard, it, it didn't mean hill of beans if you were gay or whatever. You were a hard worker. Now, if you were straight and a, a weak worker and, you know, just sort of hanging out, that would bother me to no end. But back in that, the day, back in the 80s, it was considered I- immoral. Uh, so, have, so, Barry, why would yeah. they... Uh, let's, let's just have a quick look back at, at, uh, at recent history. Why in the 1980s would there been a, have been a roundup, as you put it, of, of gays in, in Canada's military? Well, well if you read the, uh, the CFEO 19-20, it's on the net. It goes into great detail as why, because it, doesn't, uh, accept, it wasn't part of the moral standards of the day. And it's actually quite explicit uh, if, if you read it, but the moral standards of the day were not accepting of the gay community. And yet, if you had somebody that you suspected or, in fact, may have known was gay, who was in a unit that you served with, and that person was a good soldier, that's all you cared about. Oh, well, I think that's all the, that's what anybody should care about. The soldiers, that's all they care about. They yeah. couldn't give a damn. Yeah. It's, as the further you go up, it seems to become, you know, some sort of hypersensitive issue that really is... is Beyond, uh, um, you know, one of the points that I made to uh, this this one fellow I know who's formerly military and 
very strongly challenging what General Vance is doing. And I said to him, look, if, if, you're, looking, if you're trying to build a military where you actually have uh, people from different uh, backgrounds, ethnicities, racial background, linguistic background, if you're trying to get more women in the armed forces, then you, you have to make it into – you have to at least present the armed forces in a fashion, in a, in a way that is an attractive option for people. There's no doubt about it, and it should. Right now, it's not a very attractive option. If you but at the, but at the same time, but at the same time, you can't turn around and say, or I don't know if they can, or or if they will. But you can't say to your to people who are, uh, you know, if you have a, a whole bunch of white young males who want to join the military, you don't turn around to them and say, no, you can't join because you're a white male. You're correct, and uh, once again, the the inability for the Canadian forces to attract minorities goes back. Geez, uh, 20 years, Roy. I mean, they, they've been they stepping over themselves. And again, like I say, they get really rattled at the high end. Yeah. And a, a, good, a good point was when they spent $2 million researching a combat draw. They, were, they sort of stepped out of their arcs there, eh? I mean, w- women know what they need, and they ended up saying, okay, get what you need, and we'll give you, a, you know, some money for that. But I also want to point out, too, that there are exceptions to, uh, to hiring people in the Canadian Forces, like the Rangers. It's not so hard and fast that we can ignore uh, the special aspects of Canada. So we can have rangers serving up in the north doing patrols for the armed forces, which they do well into their 50s, and never meet the universality of service, but they meet the need. And that's very important. And these are, these are, these are indigenous people who have old 303 rifles. Well, they just got upgraded, but I, I don't think they're happy about that because the 303 <laughs> was a dandy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, again, so there should be sort of a notwithstanding clause the universality of service when they're dealing with people in the Canadian Armed Forces who would get injured. And this is also a big one. So if, if you've got a million dollars worth of training and you, you wreck your ankle, they should be able to say, okay, we didn't lower the bar to get you in here. You got in, you met all the standards because you have to maintain the standards, Roy. Right. In the, in the midst of your uh, military service, you got injured, but we really need your trade. You're at the top of your game. Yeah. So notwithstanding the universality of service, we're going to keep you. Well, here's the thought that I, uh, I had a question I want to ask you, because a number of the people we've spoken to who were removed from the military just before they qualified for their pensions and just before they qualified for, uh, you know, for the, uh, for, for the add-ons that they were in, uh, entitled to, um, they, uh, they, were, they were kicked out and the, or they were, I guess maybe that's a little bit of a, a rough description, but they were removed from the military because of either physical issues or they had PTSD uh, and mental health issues. So they were removed. But at the same, so now uh, at the same time, we have the military saying we want to make the military more attractive to, to dis- disabled people. Well, like I say, once you get near the top end and you get up the office of the CDS, things go quite wonky. For example, if the military is below strength and they're still releasing people with amazing skills, abilities, and talent. Yeah. For no good reason, they should be keeping them, and they could keep them in a training uh, establishment. For example, there was one fellow, one of the best snipers on the planet Earth, Canadian, lost both of his feet. He's still one of the best snipers on the, on the planet Earth, and he could be training Canadian snipers. Why did they kick him out? It was because they were dumb. They were, they were just dumb and following this universality of service thing like it was, uh, you know, come down from the, the mountain. So, uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're really screwing up. The numbers are dropping. They're part of the problem why the numbers are dropping. It's, it's just insanity. Hold on a second, Barry. We're going to come back. We'll talk some more about what is necessary for Canada's military and the initiative undertaken by the Chief of Defence uh, Staff, General John Vance, 
to make uh, Canada's military more attractive to, um, to, and I want to read it as as it was uh, as I've received it. They are welcoming to women, the disabled, Indigenous people, gays, and transgender. It's part of the military's diversity strategy action plan. Sergeant Major Barry Westholm, with us more than thirty years in the military, I want to ask him about how what it feels like when uh, when when a unit is disbanded, as the as the Airborne was, and um, with Barry's attending an event in Ottawa on, on Wednesday that you need to hear about as well. We'll come right back. If you're looking for real-life radio, you've come to the right place. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. On Twitter, you'll find me at the Roy Green Show, at the Roy Green Show, and emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. The issue of uh, the Canadian military reviewing so much of its of its traditional activities and um, and then making changes more than likely has many people who are currently in the military, of course, and former military members speaking um, in very strong opinionated terms. And it's going to affect, I think, most people in this country because as the story grows, Barry Westholm with us, former sergeant major in the Canadian Army, more than 30 years uh, serving this country. Barry, thank you as always. I mean, you, you've done so much for Canada and you're continuing to do it. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure, Roy. No problem. Uh, when we talk about reviewing uniforms and badges and flags and ceremonies and drills and music, what one person said to me was, what are we going to... What's, what's going to happen? Will we have a, a military that looks entirely different? Will we have different uniforms? Will there be different drills, different badges? Will it be non-recognizable, uh, for example, if, if they're on parade? So uh, the question is, how much of a change is going to be made? And, and, and what would that change more than likely look like? Do you have any sense of that? Well, Roy, uh, when I joined the, the Canadian Forces in 1982, we were wearing... Uh, something that looked like a bus driver's uniform, nothing wrong with bus drivers, but it just didn't suit the military. And since 82 to the time that I, uh, I resigned, I bet you I wore 10 different uniforms, 10. And that means you had to enclose the entire armed forces, every person, 10 times with three sets of those uniforms minimum. So you do the math on that one, but that's what the Canadian forces have been doing. It's like some sort of fashion show. I don't get it. So nothing new. No, geez, nothing new. I'd be, I mean, they're still changing. They just went back to a, you know, an older look. Fine, that's, but again, the priorities here seems to be a little skewed as, you know, what they're doing with regards to how they look, uh, vice how they're treating their ill and injured. Do you, do you see a military working effectively, efficiently with a great cross-section of people from, from the greater community represented in the military? More the better, more the better, uh, better for the military and more the better for Canada, because I met my first Newfoundlander in, in, in the military. I'll never forget it, and I'm glad that happened. Uh, and, and I think it's a way that we get to meet and uh, share our differences and our, our similarities. It's just wonderful in the military for that. And the conversation within the ranks would be similar to that now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I say, when you, when you join the military, you're joining a family. It's a different society, all focused on one objective, and that's that's winning the fight, right? What's it so, like when a... What's it like when a when a unit is closed down. The Airborne was disbanded after the uh, situation in Somalia. You remember the Airborne. What, what is that? How does that river break through the ranks? 
Well, what it did was the the, uh, the disbandment of the airborne was a very defining point for the Kenyan forces that it hasn't recovered from yet. It basically it, it told everybody in the military, anybody that wanted to join the military, that you are fodder for the government. They will not back you up. They will throw you to the lines. They will throw you to the media at at uh, your expense to back up their their government. And that sent a shockwave through the military. And I believe our leadership has been a lot a lot weaker since then because they're looking at their careers they become careerist as officers rather than true leaders because they think they could be fired at any second and they fire people that don't agree with them that so it's 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 terrible the airborne regiment should be brought back and the ethos that was there at the canadian airborne regiment when i was there i was there when it was disbanded was top of the line top of the line and again we talk about standards with the airborne you could get in there if you really wanted to but they wouldn't post you there you had a volunteer and when you volunteered, you had to go through rigorous training. And we did have a woman there. I can remember one woman, I believe she was a rigor, one guy pointed out to me, that made the test. But out of 700 men, one woman made it. But that's the way to, to do it. She felt she wanted to give, the, give it a try. She did. She passed. And she was in. And she was accepted with all the other paratroopers. No question. And that's what you need, Roy. You need to have that uh, that morale, that uh, that that common pur- sense of purpose. Do you think? I'll just ask you for a subjective opinion. Do you think this this initiative to to review everything and change what they feel is going to, uh, is necessary to be changed? Do you think that came from from uh, the federal government, or do you think that came from the most senior ranks in the military? Well, if the senior ranks are doing their job, it should have came from them. But I don't think they're doing their job. I think they're in a highly reactive posture. I, again, I point to the JPSU. We talk about the military reflecting society. Right. Well, society doesn't put its ill and injured out on the ice. Eh? They don't do that, but the military does. And that is a huge drawback and a huge obstacle to anybody recruiting. I wouldn't want my son in the military. No way. If he gets injured, uh, he comes back to a mess. So once again, if they want to reflect society as they should, perfect. But they should also reflect society when it comes to taking care of our people and our families. Barry, we have just under a minute. Talk to us about what's going to be happening in Ottawa on Wednesday evening. Well, I Honestly, it's new to me. It's a town hall, so a, a lot of people are going to be showing up. I have going to be four members of Parliament. There's going to be Gary Walborn, the Canadian Armed Forces Ombudsman, uh, um, a, a terrific man who's doing an amazing job, a true leader who's out for the troops, and myself and some other people. And basically what I expect is uh, hopefully I'll be challenged about my position on the Joint Personnel Support Unit. That's my sort of uh, focus. It always has been and will be uh, for the immediate future. And uh, to answer any questions the public might have about about any sort sort of thing that uh, these subject matter actually okay. can respond to. So that's at uh, Ottawa City Hall, 6 to 9 p.m. this coming Wednesday. And it's live-streamed on Guerrilla Radio on Facebook. So okay. you'll be able to watch it on Facebook if you like, Roy. All right. Barry, thanks. We'll talk again soon. All the best. Same to you, and thanks so much for what you do for the troops, Roy. Well, thank you. Thank okay. you. Sergeant Major Barry Westholm on the Roy Green Show on the Corliss Radio Network.